0: He says it's the most important book he's ever written. Arthur Fromer's newly released 500-page compendium of travel advice is called Ask Arthur Fromer, and it's exactly what we'll do today on Travel with Rick Steves. Whether he's offering advice for off-season deals, tips for senior travelers, budget alternatives to hotels, or just trying to create the modern equivalent of his venerable Europe on $5 a day, Arthur Fromer is the granddaddy of budget travel gurus. He inspired me 30 years ago to explore Europe through the back door. And Arthur inspires us all to travel where our dreams are taking us, equipped with a few of his timeless budget tricks along with some of the latest Internet tips. Travel has never lost its joy for me, and I continue to find it an absolute necessity. But first, tour-guided musician Margaret Hemond starts us off with a taste of some of Europe's music festival highlights. This year's classical music scene is bursting with composer anniversary celebrations. Thanks for coming along. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Arthur Fromer's enthusiasm for travel is contagious, and it has been now for 50 years. He'll join us in a bit to inspire us to travel smartly, enjoying that fundamental, vagabonding truth that so often, the less you spend, the more you experience. Right now, we'll whet our appetites for Europe with tour guide Margaret Hemmen. Her specialties include the fine arts and touring in Germany. She joins us to explain why 2009 is a great year for music festivals all across Europe. We're at 877-333-RICK and by email, you can reach us at radio at ricksteves.com. Anybody who travels stumbles into music and finds it's an exciting part of their travel experience. Those who love music plan the music experience into their itinerary and enjoy more musical fun. This is really important as we plan our trips abroad to know when and where are those exciting music festivals. So we're joined today by Margaret Hemman, who's got her doctorate in music. She's a voice teacher. She's been uh, singing professionally for 30 years. She's even got her own CD out that we'll list on our website. And Margaret's also a tour guide, and Margaret's up to date on what's going on in Europe. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, music festivals coming up in Europe in 2009. Margaret, thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Rick. How are you?
0: Great. You know, every year they find somebody's anniversary or somebody's 100th anniversary of this or that and they have a big festival for it.
1: What's happening in 2009? The Europeans are calling this the year of the big four. And there are four major composers being featured. Um, Two have birthdays and two are celebrating the anniversaries, I guess, or were celebrating the anniversaries of their deaths. The birthdays are... Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn, Uh and you are going to find an incredible selection of his music in Europe, but specifically in Leipzig, where he conducted the latter part of his life, and also you're going to find the birthday celebration of Purcell but those events are mostly up in England because he's much more specific to that area. Now he's more like Baroque, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he's, early he's actually kind of. late Renaissance, early Baroque. Yeah. I mean, it's the time prior to Bach and Handel. We're talking in the 17th so it's the century. So stately dance music you'd see in the courts stately, of uh, movies. Stately, yes, but text and music were very close together at that time. Okay. You didn't have the drama and the, shall we say, the extension of music that you find in the Baroque. But the great Baroque composer Handel, his music is going to be featured this year all over Europe because it's celebrating the anniversary of his death. It's 250 years since Handel died and then the other person who died 200 years ago, the same year that Mendelssohn was born, that is the composer Haydn, Joseph Haydn. You will find Haydn everywhere also. A couple music festivals have both composers. For instance, Salzburg, of Mm. course. Salzburg is going to be featuring an opera and a big work. You're going to find the same thing at Gleinborn. In England, if you want to go to Glyndebourne, for instance, you'll have the chance to hear Julius Caesar by Handel there.
0: If you particularly like Haydn, Handel, Purcell, or Mendelssohn, do a Google search, whatever, uh, see what's happening, and then lay it next to your proposed itinerary, and see if you're just going to tweak your itinerary a little bit to be there when there's a concert. Exactly. And then go online and book a ticket.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of really great websites for this. There's one on Mendelssohn alone. It's dedicated to Mendelssohn, and it's simply mendelssohn2009.org. Mm-hmm. You'll find concerts all over the place. Then the Haydn celebration, you're going to find a lot in Austria. So if you look at austria.info, you'll find it there. And leave it to the BBC to give us a wonderful overview of... In England, but in other parts of Europe, and that website is called bbc.co.uk. They're going to give you a really, really broad idea of where to find concerts.
0: Did Handel work in Dublin I remember there's a place where he composed uh, Messiah I think actually in Dublin you
1: know I'm not sure I'm not yeah. upon my uh, These factoids, you know, I, I know <laughs> The factoids the, the
0: musicians lived in a lot of locations because if you're a landlord you don't want a musician practicing at two o'clock in the morning and no. they're probably horrible tenants well
1: Beethoven <laughs> was the worst so we've heard but of course Handel became a citizen of England he was born in uh, Saxony actually not far from Leipzig okay. but he moved to England he went to Hamburg and then he went to England so in London was his main drag shall we say.
0: I'm Rick Steves this is Travel with Rick Steves and today we're talking about music festivals coming up this year in Europe. I'm joined by Margaret Hemmen and Margaret uh, takes groups around Europe. Margaret, these are the big anniversary festivals Mendelssohn, right. Purcell, Handel and Haydn. What are the top festivals that are just annual events? What are four or five of them that you would be sure to check okay. out? Okay,
1: well if you're an offer buff of course there's the Bayreuth Festival for Wagner lovers. There's also a lot going on in Italy that's celebrating. It's a year after Puccini's birthday, 150 years. So you're going to find, for instance, if you go to La Scala in Milan, uh, you're going to hear the operas there. You can go to Verona, to the Arena, and hear a lot of operas by Puccini and other famous composers. So those would be some of the big places. And if you're a jazz aficionado, I mean, there's not just only classical music out there. The Umbria Jazz Festival in Perugia, Italy is one to go to. And another one is Montreux, as we call it, a Montreux in Switzerland, right on the border of Lake Geneva.
0: A lot of people just think Salzburg and Vienna when they think classical music. And oh, no. they get a little bit uptight when they think, well, the boys' choir is going to be on vacation or the symphony is going to be on vacation or I'm going to miss the Salzburg Festival. Of course, to listen to the Vienna Philharmonic or to be in Salzburg during the festival is great. But when I'm in Salzburg, they stress there are festival like events all year long. I
1: mean. Oh, the summer program is different. I mean, the summer program doesn't feature the big organizations, but you can find music. In churches, there are festival locations. For instance, this summer, you're going to find if you travel just a little ways from Vienna and go to Eisenstadt. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where the big Haydn festival is going okay. to
0: be. Okay, uh, musicians work and they get the summer off a lot,
1: I guess. A lot, but you'll find, interestingly enough, you're going to find the big organizations somewhere else, like you'll find the Berlin Phil, for example. You're going to find them in Aix-en-Provence. So it's
0: on vacation, quotes, in Berlin, but it's actually working down in Aix in the south of France. Exactly. I'm speaking with Margaret Hemman. We're talking about European music festivals. Uh, Claudia emailed us and she said, don't forget the Wagner Festival in Bayreuth. Bayreuth. So you, you that's like comes to mind right away when you like opera. Also don't they have an opera festival in uh, Verona? The cool thing about that is it's in the ancient Roman amphitheater which has this wonderful acoustics. I've
1: actually been there once. Have um, you? How was yes. that? Yes. Oh, incredible. I mean you are in a colosseum.
0: Now, when you travel, you you probably see 10 times as much live music as a normal tourist because you're really a professional musician. Right. What are some venues that you think are just magical when you think back on all the great places that you've enjoyed live music that people should be mindful of?
1: Oh, well, one, of course, if you were in Verona, I mean, that's an incredible venue. And for instance, this summer, if you were to go there, you could see Puccini's Tosca or Turandot, of course, Carmen. But I have to think the best venue I've been in Recently was last year, I just happened to be in Berlin when the Philharmonic actually had a fire. And so they sent the Philharmonic Orchestra out to what they called the forest stage, the Waldbühne. And I heard the most incredible performance of the Berlin Philharmonic out there with Polini playing. Outdoors? Outdoors. And this is because they had
0: a fire. They moved it to a temporary location.
1: Well, they also perform out there. Wow. I mean, unfortunately, in the heart of the summer, they're not there, but they're still there so in May. So if you go to
0: Berlin and there's something performing at the, what do you call it? Waldbühne. I, it's the, the forest stage, basically. The forest stage. Right. Something to remember. That's amazing. That's just amazing. We have Wendy on the line in Burnaby, British Columbia. Wendy, thanks for your call.
1: Hello, Rick. We like to travel in September and October, and Uh it seems like a lot of the festivals are in the summer. Yes. And so we were looking to see if perhaps uh, you could tell us about some place to focus on. We especially enjoy Spain and Italy.
0: In September and October, huh?
1: Yes. Okay, I can't speak to Spain because it's not a place that I travel regularly. But if you were to travel to Italy, of course, a couple places you could go would be if you want to go to Milan. Of course, the La Scala is one place you want to try to go sometime in your life. But all the way through Italy, you're going to find different orchestras and venues in Verona, Ferrara, most cities, uh, Perugia, also if you go to Venice. Venice is full of places where you can hear good performances. And,
0: and let me get this straight. If a music lover is, is considering going to Europe and they're missing all the festivals, like Wendy's talking about, because mm-hmm. they're not there in the summer, right. well, there's a, a regular season. Exactly. These are highly cultured places that love their classical music. So the summer is the time to pick up the slack when the regular season is off, and they do that with festivals. But the ongoing regular season would be uh, yours to enjoy when you're not there for summer festivals. Right.
1: right. And what I would do simply is to go to the city of your choice. For instance, you can pick a city like Berlin uh, or Vienna or wherever you are. If you're in Italy, pick the city, Milan, for example. And normally, if you Google that particular city, that you will quickly come to their tourist information site which will give you operas and concerts. And and they'll be promoting the heck out of this because
0: they want to pump up the attendance. Wendy, there's an interesting email from Virginia in uh, North Carolina. And Virginia writes, in Parma, Italy, there's an opera celebration in October that features operas by Giuseppe Verdi. The entire city is involved in honoring this famous composer of operas. So if you're in Italy in the fall, that's a big deal, especially if you like Verdi.
1: That sounds great, and I love
0: Verde. Uh, Parma is the city, like Parmesan Parma, cheese, right?
1: Parma, yeah. <laughs> uh, Parma-schinken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey,
0: Wendy, good luck in your uh, traveling and enjoyment of classical music overseas.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Bye, Wendy. Margaret, you must have got so much joy over the years in mixing your travels with your music and music appreciation. Give me one little tip for travelers to make sure they don't lose an opportunity while they're enjoying their travels through Europe.
1: I would say one of the easiest places to go find great music is, of all places, a church. You can often find, for instance, just by walking by, sometimes you can hear a rehearsal. For instance, in the city of Vienna, during the regular year, you would go to the Court Church of the Habsburgs, the Augustiner Mass, and simply walk in and hear the most incredible mass with orchestra, soloists, and chorus,
0: and it's all free. And if you're wandering around and you hear music, step inside, even if it's practice. You're welcome to sit in the pew quietly exactly. and listen and enjoy. Those pipe organs are, are rare and in a lot of demand and people are practicing on them lots of times. So plenty of opportunities to hear great music in the churches if the traveler has got their ears open and, and flexible. Exactly. Thanks so much. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about enjoying music in Europe with Margaret Hemmon. <laughs> Up next, Arthur Fromer updates his timeless travel advice with tips from his newest book, Ask Arthur Fromer. 877 333 Rick, that's our phone number. Radio at ricksteves.com is the email address. You're listening to Travel with Rick Steves.
3: Nazywam się Kasia Derlicka, jestem z Warszawy, z Polski i podróżuję z Rykiem Steve'em. And that was Polish for my name is Kasia Derlicka from Warsaw, Poland and I travel with Rick Steves. Nazywam się Kasia Derlicka, Warszawy z Polski i podróżuję z Rykiem Steve'em.
1: Rikiem
0: Steve'em? That's my name in Polish? <laughs> That's your name in Polish. Rikiem Steven. Dziękuję. <laughs> <Thank you>. Dziękuję. <laughs> I'm Rick Steves. First time I went to Europe, I had one book in my hand. Actually, it was in my mom and dad's hand, and it was Europe on $5 a day. The father of independent travel, as far as I'm concerned, is Arthur Fromer, and he spent a lifetime teaching Americans how to enjoy our world smartly, thoughtfully, and economically. Arthur Fromer joins us today because he's got a new book out called Ask Arthur Fromer, and Arthur calls it the most important book he's ever written. Arthur Fromer, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Rick. It's a great pleasure. Now, Arthur... I got to ask you, I think Europe on $5 a day was the groundbreaking book. It introduced America to the fact that there's more to the world than going back to Hawaii again. And you call this new book the most important book you've ever written. Why are you so excited about this new book?
3: I think this is more important because it transcends simply a European trip. It deals not only with the entire world, but it deals with every mode of travel, whether you're going by bus, by train, by a car or plane, by rental car, by RV. Uh, I have tried in it to answer every question that every American ever has about travel. And I, I, obviously, I haven't been able to cover every destination of travel, but I think with respect to all other questions, I more or less believe that I've covered everything. I tried to make this into an
0: encyclopedia. It's a 500-page reference book. If you've got a question about travel, you can just look into the index here and find it. It's cut into chapters, but each chapter is organized
3: alphabetically, just like an encyclopedia. So you go through the uh, chapter on brainy tours, let's say, and if an idea occurs to you, a phrase occurs to you, you look it up alphabetically. And I hope that my response or my opinion about that subject is then there.
0: Now, Arthur, you've got this passion for travel that I know from having your words sort of direct my travels for 20 years all through my younger days of traveling. Your, your book was the dominant book on Europe. So you've got this wonder list, and at the same time, you seem to have a, a real joy for all the wonky insider travel industry fine points so you can help consumers really know what's going on. You spend a lot of time keeping up to date on how the industry works. Only as a
3: means toward an end, I don't mean for people to devote their lives to learning the ins and outs of finding good airfares or car rental rates or the like. This is all a means toward being able to travel. I've often felt that travel should be divorced from the dollar bill, that people of limited means should be able to travel. And I think the people are able to travel more often than they think they are. The purpose of ferreting out all these secrets of budget-price travel is to enable you to travel. To make travel accessible. To make travel accessible, because to me, travel is the great learning experience of all time. And in mm. Ask Arthur Fromer, I say that although you can uh, pick up an understanding of the world through other means, through widespread reading, through going to lectures and the like, there is nothing like actually experiencing the realities, the authenticity of a destination yourself on the spot. And that's the purpose of then dealing with all these technical problems of how do you afford the airfare, how do you make connections, how do you get inexpensive accommodations and all that. That is all a means toward an end.
0: Right. I've been thinking a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs lately, and for a traveler, the lower rungs are simply catching the train and and finding a a bed and, and nourishing yourself, and then... You're there for that purpose of broadening your perspective and having experiences that challenge all the ethnocentric, self-evident, and God-given truths you were raised. Uh, It's such a, a great opportunity to make the world available to people. And, Rick, like you, I've also made the point that in the course
3: of traveling inexpensively, traveling unpretentiously, you improve the enjoyment of the experience. Uh, a long time ago, I came across the words that the, the less you spend, the more you enjoy. The more authentic is the experience yeah. of, your, of your trip. <laughs> uh, you're not going into this faceless world of bellmen and porters and of concierges and all these people who speak 25 languages and who no longer reflect the national characteristics
0: of the country in which you're visiting. And conversely, the more you spend, the bigger wall you risk building between... That you and create. You traveled so that far you see. create. Yeah, you go to the fanciest hotel in Paris, and you're going to be dealing with people that look at you as a walking dollar sign and, and just want to serve you a $10 cup of coffee.
3: Exactly, and who themselves are well-traveled, who have been everywhere in the world who speak English just as well as you speak it. And frankly, they no longer represent the culture of the country in which they live. It gets even worse than that. Even though they are performing a service activity, they tend to be extremely impressed by wealth and by affluence and by luxury, and they think that you're the same way, and that their purpose is just to surround you with service that is just exquisite. In, in enjoying that kind of service, you barricade yourself from the real life and reality of the countries in which you're traveling.
0: So that's fundamental to this kind of travel, and that's the underlying Absolutely. philosophy of your 500-page manual here you've written, Ask Arthur Fromer. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Arthur Fromer. Arthur, what year did you write your first guidebook? 1955,
3: which was a guidebook for G.I.s, it was called the G.I.s Guide to Traveling in Europe. (laughs) Two years later, I was finally discharged from the army, and I thought that I would do the same thing for, for civilians. And in 1957, we published the first edition of Europe on $5 a day, which celebrated its 50th anniversary two years ago. And that means
0: you're no spring chicken. No, now, uh, you're I, still, hate to, <laughs> yes. I would imagine. I hope
3: we're not going to bring up that subject. <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk about when you were born, but
0: let's just say you, you've for six okay. decades you've been writing great guidebooks. And my question <laughs> to you is, you don't need to be doing this work. And I see you in these travel shows all over the United States, and you still are do a it. <laughs> hard worker. You've got a weekly radio show, you're writing this new book, and you're as enthusiastic as ever. What motivates you? Because I don't think it's money.
3: I enjoy doing it. I enjoy living in the world of ideas and activities. I love keeping up with the developments of travel. I am not single mindedly in the world of travel. I have other interests as well, but i 'm just as active these days as I was fifty years ago, and I think that my i 'm the I'm the new sixties in other words yeah well, <laughs> you know
0: arthur i got to say I like the photograph of you on the cover of your ask Arthur Fromer book. And I was a little bit wondering when you were going to update your Europe on $20 a day photograph, because that was uh, that was a little bit... You were looking like Dear Abby there. <laughs> this this photograph shows me with white hair. It was taken
3: by my wife just a few years ago on the Great Wall of China. That's a great I don't side. think it it
0: mischaracterizes me. I'm a little older than Not I look in the picture. But Not at all. You've this got to give great. me a
3: little bit of vanity. Hey, here.
0: Arthur, tell <laughs> me, uh, yes. the, the traveling public is graying. We're all on the same moving sidewalk. <laughs> what advice uh, for older travelers? A lot of people are are young at heart but they've got to take it a little easier physically and so on are there some basic tips you would give people who still want to be footloose and fancy free but have to be a little more careful well i don't travel
3: with the same intensity that i used to i mean i used to hit the streets at 6 a.m in the morning and just keep at it for 12 or 14 hours from then uh, i would uh, fly overnight over the atlantic get off the plane and go immediately to the hotel section of the city where I'd landed and go knocking on doors and looking at one little budget hotel after another. I don't do that anymore. One obviously has to slow down. right? I think it was the great psychologist B.F. Skinner who said that when you get to be my age, you should take a nap in the <laughs> afternoon, which I which I tried to do. But I, I find that by staying active, you retain the ability to be active. And my mind hasn't changed, and the mind of all us oldsters hasn't changed. We still see the world in the same way. We've become a little tolerant of other people's mistakes and, and misfortunes, yeah. but... Travel has never lost its joy for me, and I continue to find it an absolute necessity. I don't travel as much as I used to. I used to go somewhere every week of my life. I would mm-hmm. be in a different continent.
0: Now it's every month of my life
3: I take well, that's a trip.
0: a lot of traveling. I think one of the things that a lot of travelers should remember is some of the most grueling things about travel to me are the heat and the crowds of summer travel. And if you can just bundle up and go shoulder season, especially if you're a senior traveler, you're going to make it a lot more enjoyable. Oh,
3: absolutely. And especially in these days, you know, that in the current economic slowdown, the off-season periods have just become marvelous opportunities for people to travel. Mm-hmm. I have talked with readers of mine who recently have come back from trips to Madrid where their airfare came to $221 round trip, including taxes and, and fees. Uh, There are such remarkable opportunities if you are able to travel in the early spring, in the late autumn, and especially in the winter. Uh, you can almost name your price nowadays yeah. to certain countries of Europe and on certain carriers.
0: I like the, the phrase, there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. Bundle up and enjoy. <laughs> that's, that's true. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Arthur Fromer, and Arthur Fromer's come out with a brand new book. It's called Ask Arthur Fromer. And this is a, like a reference book covering all of the topics that are important for anybody who's dreaming about traveling and traveling smartly. Arthur, a big change for travelers these days is the advent of the Internet for finding places to eat and sleep. Now, for for Mm -hmm. decades, you were wearing out shoes, looking for good restaurants and good hotels. Has that fundamentally changed now, or are guidebooks still important for finding restaurants and hotels?
3: In my opinion, guidebooks are the best way for finding restaurants and hotels. I am an enemy of the uh, so-called user-generated website. I get excited and, and very distressed When I hear people telling me about how they chose their restaurant or they chose their hotel from a welter of opinions mailed in to a user-generated website by absolute amateurs in travel. You have a person who gets off a plane in Paris and they find a a little hotel somewhere and they go into that hotel. They enjoy it and therefore they write a comment about it to one of the user-generated websites. But that is the only hotel they have ever seen in their entire life. In the city of Paris they have no basis for judgment they have no comparative knowledge they don't realize that three blocks down the road from where they stayed there are much better hotels with all sorts of features in it that they were denied so true and therefore i've i've crossed swords you know, with people like the founder of uh, tripadvisor with tim zagat uh, of the zagat guides you know who believe that user generated material is is well worth what I've also recently spent a lot of attention paid a lot of attention rather to the fact that these sites are being manipulated by the hotels and the restaurants named in them or their enemies or their enemies so you don't uh, know You either write a favorable comment about your own hotel or you knock a competitor's hotel right uh, this is happening to such an extent that one travel commentator who lives in Hawaii recently said of the Hawaii user-generated sites that half of them are fake. Yeah, Half of them are generated by the hotels, which are the subject of the comment.
0: Well, I would imagine you see that in your website and I see that in my website. As people with an agenda, they mess up the value of this.
3: I had an early feature in Europe on Five Dollars a Day called Reader's Selections. At the end of every chapter... I printed verbatim excerpts from letters that I received from users of the book. I finally had to discontinue that practice because I suddenly began to see that the hotels themselves were writing fake letters to me saying this is the greatest hotel of which I've ever seen. And it was totally impossible for me to distinguish between the honest opinions and the interested ones. And so you finally had to eliminate that it's, it's, from the books. It's, it's
0: almost the scourge of my work because I need the reader feedback to update my guidebooks to Europe, and I actually track down all of these references, or as many of them as I can, and it's so clear. A lot of them are completely bogus, but in there, there's a few nuggets, so it's just, I guess if people There are nuggets, so it's very difficult. But that's what a guidebook can do. On a, on a related note when it comes to the web many hotels now have to um play this game with the booking services in order to get people to come to their websites or to come to their hotel and they have to build in a 15 or a 20% commission i think to these web booking services to For get the their name services. out of there doesn't that bloat the pity. price to consumers by 20% by bringing in a needless middleman that is it's a terrible thing the whole process of travel consists of getting rid of the
3: middleman of going directly Directly to the hotels, Mm. directly to the uh, airlines and others to get the best rates and to find honest places. Now, uh, I'm not saying that guidebooks are infallible, but I would rather rely on the opinion of an expert who for years has been writing about a particular destination, who's been going back there every year Mm -hmm. and tramping the streets for months on end, as Pauline, as my daughter does, Mm -hmm. with respect to the guidebooks that she herself writes
0: as a writer, there's a certain joy in connecting your readers with a good, honest mom-and-pop restaurant or guest house. And, and to those, know are, that... those
3: are the great moments in travel yeah. writing. I used to be so <laughs> exhilarated. There was one morning in Rome when I discovered the existence of an order of Dutch nuns who took it as their vocation to take tourists free of charge into various secondary sites of Rome, to take you into a little church, to take you into a museum hmm. that no one has ever heard of, and when I discovered their service and what they did i was i, I skipped back to my hotel i i I envisioned in my mind the paragraph that I would write about that service Ah. and for many years it it appeared in
0: in my Rome chapter. I love it. I can see you skipping home happily to the hotel with a great new find. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves and we are talking with Arthur Fromer. Arthur has written a new book. It's called Ask Arthur Fromer and it's a collection of Arthur's wisdom. He's been writing guidebooks for five or six decades and here we have a a 500-page collection of, of everything that Arthur thinks is important. Lisa's on the line in Windermere, Florida. Lisa, thanks for your call. Hi. Do you have a question or a comment for Mr. Fromer?
1: Oh, I certainly do. And first I have to say, I feel like I should be genuflecting I'm in the presence of two awesome travelers. Oh, Lisa. Writers. No. <laughs> <laughs> please, please,
0: just use our guidebooks.
2: <laughs>
1: this is such a treat. So, um, well, my question was, rather than a specific answer to a, you know, a travel question, I was wondering, Mr. Fromer, you're probably the most well-educated traveler I can think of. If you could only take one more two-week trip, where would you go and why?
3: I am often asked that question, and I immediately disappoint people by answering with one word, Paris. I am in love with the city of Paris. I could go back there uh, endlessly. I believe that it exists on the frontiers of every subject, whether it is cuisine, history, political thought, art, uh, I, I so enjoy that city, and I enjoy, of course, hundreds of other locations. And there's no place in the world I don't uh, that I actively dislike. But I love going to Paris. I find that the Parisians in recent years have become extremely uh, generous toward the tourist. Mm-hmm. That you no longer uh, meet up with the discourtesy and the disdain that you used to encounter in the immediate years after World War II, when the French were an angry uh, population. But I, I I so very much enjoy going there.
0: Arthur, take us on a walk in the streets of Paris where you enjoy the ambience of Paris. Where do you go to get that magic? Well, on the I streets?
3: start out at the Metro Station for the Boulevard Saint Michel. I go walking up the Boulevard Saint Michel and then I turn left at a little side street called the Rue des Ecoles and I walk to the first hotel at which I ever stayed. in Paris, the Hotel Claude Bernard. Uh, named after the famous French medical researcher who discovered various treatments for the treatment of diabetes. I wander around the Latin Quarter. I wander around the student section. I go then to the 6th arrondissement, uh, down down the boulevards along the Seine, going darting in and out of side streets, uh, experiencing the life of Hemingway. I,
0: I, uh, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy that walk. That's a beautiful image, Arthur. Thank you. Lisa, thanks for your call. Thank you. I'm Rick Steves. We're speaking with Arthur Fromer, and Arthur has written a new book called Ask Arthur Fromer. We'll be back in a moment with more of your questions and more travel with Arthur Fromer.
1: Quel
2: est votre avis?
0: There's plenty more budget travel tips with Arthur Fromer just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. We'll take your calls at 877-333-RICK or by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Arthur Fromer. Arthur's new book is Ask Arthur Fromer. Arthur, you are the king of cheap sleeps and you've got a little section in your book (laughs) called Sleeping in the Airport Will Save a Night's Cost in a Hotel. What's the deal there? Well,
3: that's not, something, that's not something that I learned, but I discovered a website called sleepinginairports.com, which is written by a young woman who actually uh, seriously surveys all the great airports of the world for those that have the best facilities for sleeping free of charge o- overnight, yes. sleeping at a bench where you are not awakened by a security official every five minutes telling you to, to sit up and to stop sleeping. She she found places in the airport of Beijing, for example, where you go upstairs next to a bar and there are these wonderful lounges where you can stretch out and sleep. This is only for those times in airports where you arrive late at night and you have to take a connecting flight the next morning and you don't have
0: time to go into town and, and book yourself a hotel room. And so you go to sleep in the airport. That's a miserable thing to have to go all the way downtown, book in at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then get back out at the airport. So sack out at the airport. And hiding in airports are great little spots. At Heathrow, there's a few lounges where you actually have reclining chairs that are quite comfortable. What's the name of that website again?
3: sleeping in airports dot com and i'm fascinated that the same thought has come to you about oh, uh, the need for sometimes sleeping in an airport
0: well i think you and me in our younger days back in, when you did europe on five dollars <laughs> a day and i did europe through the gutter we were sleeping in airports
3: and i slept on many a train of course as you have done also going overnight and thus saving a hotel night.
0: Hey, Arthur, I think maybe I can out-cheap you here. I would go four hours out, cross the track, and go four hours back in to get a (laughs) disjointed night's sleep for free. Well, any time, even today, if you can get an eight-hour train ride between Munich and Venice or something like that, have a good time at the beer hall, stumble onto the train at midnight, 8 o'clock the next morning, you're in Venice. You didn't sleep that great, but you saved a whole day in your itinerary, and you'll certainly sleep better that next night. Absolutely. Arthur, you also write about airport nutrition. What thoughts have you had on airport nutrition? Well, it just uh, I write about airport nutrition because I'm so dismayed
3: about the lack of joists that's available to most of us that we have to go to one of these Cinnabon places where you <laughs> buy a roll that is the equivalent of 800 calories. I now advocate that we never go out to an airport without first fixing ourselves
0: a tasty sandwich at home and taking that with you. You know, it's so easy to do that. You know, when you go of on a course. trip, you leave stuff in your refrigerator that'll be bad when you get home. Take ten minutes before you go get those Ziploc baggies out and put together. And take your a couple own food onto meals. the airplane. Of course, it makes a lot of
3: sense. And I have a little section that that's not typical, obviously, of the of the all the items in Ask Arthur. From I think most of them are a little more substantive than that, but that is a proper tactic.
0: Now, Arthur, do you really think frequent flyer programs are worth all the trouble? I don't.
3: I do not make use of them, even though I have hundreds of thousands Mm -hmm. of miles that are saved up and that are in various accounts. I simply find that one is now engaged in a battle with the airlines over Mm -hmm. their desire to keep you from making use of them and your desire to use them. It's getting uh, increasingly difficult. I think
0: it's insulting to the consumer. I gave up on it a long time ago.
3: It's a great scandal, the uh, holding out this promise of frequent flyer mileage. They're constantly changing the conditions for the worse they're constantly adding points making the points less valuable and there's a lot of discussion of the ins and outs of frequent flyer mileage and and talk about the various websites
0: that purport to help you properly use your frequent flyer mileage it's a huge industry that actually creates nothing but frustration, I think. And, you know, you think you're getting a free ticket, but I don't think there's any free lunch in the airline industry. There's not even a good lunch anymore in the airline industry. Well, the
3: whole industry has become a difficult one. It's never been more difficult to travel. The airports have never been more crowded, the conditions more tense, mm-hmm. uh, the needs of, of going through security checks and the like, making of travel a, an ordeal to a certain extent, and yet it's never been more important that we travel. Hmm. It is so absolutely vital that we come to our own conclusions about the validity of our country's foreign policy by actually going to the various countries of the world that our country attempts to prevent us from visiting. Uh, You went to Iran recently. I've been to Cuba several times. I've been there. I hate to – I'm ashamed to say lawfully as a journalist, thus (laughs) making use of exemptions that that are made available to journalists. But I believe with every fiber of my body that our U.S. government has no right in peacetime to tell us where we can and where we cannot go. To me, travel is a First Amendment right, mm. and government has no more right to stop you from traveling than they have to stop you from reading a book or attending a lecture. Amen. And I, would, I, am, I am looking forward to the elimination, especially soon, of the embargo against Cuba. And I'm not saying that for any love of the, of the regime in Cuba. Had our government prevented us from visiting the Union of South Africa during the time of apartheid, I would have been the first person on a plane going there. Right. Because I, again, I don't believe, I believe that is a personal
0: decision and not a decision that our government has a right to make. And you can make a case that Castro stayed in power because we were easy to demonize and we didn't understand them because we couldn't travel there. The number one Caribbean destination for Canadians and Germans is Cuba. What's with that? It's Cuba. You go to the
3: streets of Havana and you see thousands of Englishmen and French and Germans and Spanish and
0: Canadians walking around every nationality in the world except Americans. I'm Rick Steves. We're talking with Arthur Fromer, getting up to date. And Arthur's written a brand new book called Ask Arthur Fromer. Arthur, when I try to book a hotel, sometimes in some resort areas... I have a hard time getting directly to the hotel. It seems they only want me to book through various web booking agencies. Can you explain what the deal is there?
3: Well, many of them are are saving money. They simply are not maintaining reservation services on their own, but obviously it behooves all of us to deal directly with the hotel, especially if you think that there's a chance that you can negotiate a better rate than the rates that appear in the Internet or in guidebooks for which you have to talk directly with the manager or the assistant manager of a hotel. Obviously, these telephone reservationists that the various chains use or that the websites use do not have the authority to cut the prices. But the people on the spot know that they're going to be empty on the night that you're going there, and they would rather give you a discounted price uh, than suffer an empty room.
0: If you see a deal advertised somewhere on the web in an indirect way, can you take that number and go directly to the hotel and Absolutely.
3: Actually... Sometimes you have to look up the number. Sometimes the number is not in right. the information that you've obtained on the web. And some of the hotels, true, if they notice that you are coming to them because you've learned about a particular rate that has been offered by a web seller... They will honor that rate, and they won't cut it. But in many, many cases, you can get through to somebody who will give you a discount.
0: All right. Now, you are a fan of staying in convents and monasteries around the world. Tell us about that. Well, not only in
3: convents and monasteries, but in alternative accommodations. You know, We are now facing, again, a very difficult problem with respect to the cost of accommodations in many areas of the world. And when you change your dollars into foreign currency, you are not getting the best of exchange rates nowadays. And it's becoming increasingly expensive to stay
0: at standard hotels. But some of the big chain hotels like Travelodge can offer an incredible value when you compare it well, to... Well,
3: but that's such an exception. That's this magnificent English-Irish firm that is the equivalent in England of our Motel 6 chain in in the United States that has these wonderfully low rates. But generally speaking, in in most of the big capitals you now sometimes encounter daunting Mm -hmm. prices if you insist on a standard hotel. The smart tourist goes to a B and B, they go to a guest house, they go to a student residence, they go to a hostel. And by the way, probably the most significant event currently is the explosion in the number of hostels. There are entrepreneurs all over the world who are buying up failed hotels and converting them into hostels, putting four beds into a room Hmm. that was really meant for two beds. And there are now close to a dozen uh, major hostel websites on the Internet, hostelbookers.com, hostels.com, europeanhostels.com. Where you can get rooms for a price of twenty two dollars per person per night as compared with a hundred dollars at a hotel.
0: I think that's one area that is changing so fast and is so uh um, Isn't it where, Isn't where you need to rely on the web services there. My son uses that hostelworld.com when he travels, and it's just the slam dunk way for kids to go. And a lot of those kids would rather stay in a dorm than in a hotel because that's where the social action's at. And a lot of information on cheap travel, bulletin boards with all sorts of lists of events that are
3: going on, tours you can take. But us older kids also are starting to stay in hostels. Oh, the yeah. hostels increasingly have private rooms. Uh, they don't always
0: jam you into a dorm. No, and you're saying hostel, not youth hostel. They took the word youth out of the hostel association. In Scandinavia, I noticed, Arthur, there's a lot of high-rise, new, industrial-strength Danish hostels that are like just Isn't that simple yeah. hotels. Thirty dollars for a double. Many of them
3: recently, Rick, permit you as part of the amenities to which you're entitled. They, they give you free pasta. In uh, other words, you, you can go into the kitchen and you can boil a pot of water and take a handful of some, some spaghetti, put it in the water, and you get that free of charge. You have in, a free meal. You know,
0: I think that transportation, eating, and sleeping will flex with the buying power of the traveling public. Right now, times are tough, and a lot of people are traveling in a thing called surf. What couch surfing, right?
3: Couch surfing and global freeloaders, these two wonderful new websites of free hospitality. And by the way, that's the kind of subject that I deal with in Ask Arthur Fromer. You turn to hotels, you turn within that to hospitality. And it names all the organizations all over the world that people have joined to offer the availability of a spare cot or a spare room in their home so that you are not only uh, enjoying a cheap sleep, but you're also meeting a European or foreign resident somewhere. Uh, couchsurfing.com and and globalfreeloaders.com and there are many more that are cropping up all over the place.
0: All right. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Arthur Fromer and Arthur's latest book is called Ask Arthur Fromer. (music) Gary's on the line in Olympia, Washington. Gary, thanks for your call.
2: Yeah. One of the things what I have noticed is there's kind of two sets of travelers, one that wants to see a number of cities, say, in Europe, um, over a period of time, and somebody more like me who wants to kind of go one place and stay for a long time. I found this to be the case in April when I found this little place in France, uh, the city Banul sur mer about eight kilometers north of the Spanish border, right on the Mediterranean, I stayed there in a flat for a week. Um, It was only 300 euros. It had all the amenities. I was about 100 meters from the beach. It was just lovely. I ended up becoming friends with the owner who lived in a town about 40 kilometers away. Um, I had dinner with her and her husband. They took me to the airport when I left. I mean, it was just fantastic. And I, I, I don't know. I find that to be a very cheap way of traveling, and yet you get to see the local communities. Can you, do you have any thoughts on that,
3: Gary? It so happens that there's an entire organization whose only purpose it is to facilitate precisely the kind of experience that you have just uh, described. It is called Untours. And it operates what they call Untours for Untourists. It's located in Media, Pennsylvania. You can find it on the internet. And what they do is they enable Americans to stay for two weeks in an apartment or in a house in various European localities so that they enjoy Europe as a resident rather than as a tourist. In other words, they're they're enjoying an untouristic experience and because it's so difficult sometimes for an american to get a rental just for a week or just for two weeks an increasing number of people use untours you go to untours which is run by a saint like individual who who operates it as a nonprofit organization and untours will offer you apartment stays in uh, alpine villages in uh, country towns in Italy, all over Europe, of exactly the sort that you have just described. Wonderful activity, and, and one that I, I really recommend to you.
0: Great, Gary. I think you've connected with, uh, you know, the essence of travel is to meet those people. Thanks for your call. Yeah, thank you. Greg's on the line in Tarpon Springs, Florida. Greg, thanks for your call.
2: Thank you for taking the call. Uh, my question is city specific, if that's okay. Sure. Um, my partner and I are going to Amsterdam in three weeks, and mostly what we do is look at architecture and go to museums, and I'm wondering what would be the, the most unusual offbeat museum in Amsterdam.
3: The most unusual offbeat museum? Well, Probably the, the, the home of Anne Frank uh, would be an offbeat museum, which is not an, a museum devoted to art, but simply to preserving the interior of the home in which Anne Frank lived for two or three of the years of of World War II. But I don't think that you should take it as your goal simply to go to an offbeat museum for the purpose of visiting an offbeat museum. I I really think you should wander the intersection of Amsterdam, which is virtually untouched since the 17th century and which reflects the uh, so-called Golden Age of the Netherlands when the Netherlands uh, virtually commercially ruled the entire world and rich merchants put up these extraordinary townhouses on the semicircular canals that constitute the center of Amsterdam.
2: Is it as easily walkable, I've been told? Oh
3: absolutely, and that's what most people do. It's, it's really very difficult sometimes mm-hmm. to drive a car in the very center of Amsterdam. It has been called the oldest and the largest open-air museum of the world. There's not a single building that is later in age than the 17th century there. It is a fascinating city to see because it is a city that has assumed the role that the Scandinavian cities used to have many, many years ago in social experimentation. And you will find all sorts of establishments in in Amsterdam where people are pushing the boundaries of the of the uh, uh, permissible, <laughs> I don't want. To, right. I can't get more specific
0: than that. But uh, it, it's sex and marijuana to author, see this. Sex and marijuana.
3: Sex and marijuana. That's there what you find go. in Amsterdam. <laughs> but you also find a very politically literate people of people who are intensely interested in world affairs. Uh, I used. to I, I have a hotel in Amsterdam. I don't know whether you know that there is a hotel called the Hotel Arthur Fromer off the prinsenracht in the middle of Amsterdam. So. Huh. Uh, Amsterdam is very near and dear to me.
0: All right, Greg, thanks for your call. Thank you. I would say I second everything Arthur said about that. I think it's also a city It's great to rent a bike and just have it lashed to the pole in front of your hotel for your whole stay. And as far as offbeat sites... um, Boy, there's everything in Amsterdam. You've got a new handbag museum. You've got the Dutch Resistance <laughs> Museum, which is just wonderful. You've got a tattoo museum. It's a Like Arthur said, it sort of always goes to the edge. We've been talking with Arthur Fromer, and Arthur, I want to wrap things up just by reading, even though it's not anywhere near New Year's. I want to read the New Year's resolutions for all the years ahead in your book. I just love them. If you'll, <laughs> all right, here's Arthur Fromer's 10 New Year's resolutions. I will limit myself to carry-ons and never check a single bag. I will carry sandwiches from home and never bite into a single airline snack. I will use public transportation from the airport into town. I will never book a connecting flight. If there's no nonstop to my destination, I won't go there, with some exceptions, but I understand what you're saying. I'll share courses with my wife, ordering a single main plate for the two of us. I'll stop patronizing duty-free shops. I'll never book an uncomfortable boutique hotel designed by a famous fashionista. I will never use a credit card that doesn't earn frequent flyer mileage i'll never board a cruise ship carrying more than seven hundred passengers i'll remain calm and unperturbed by refusing to read the travel section of the new york times well, Arthur, I, I don't, I don't follow you on the frequent flyers. I don't take cruises, and I'm not a New Yorker, so I don't have the passion about the New York Times. But I'll tell you, the other seven—if I was to in a closed-off room, come up with my New Year's resolutions—I agree with each one of those. They're Rick, brilliant. I have
3: <laughs> since, I have later added another resolution, which is that I will always remember to leave a ten-dollar bill for the chambermaid in our hotel. All of us use the services of these hardworking people, and we tend to forget that they are dependent on increasing a very modest salary with the tips that they receive from hotel guests.
0: You know, I think that's beautiful. I'm going to take that to heart myself, Arthur, and it's just a delight to talk with you, Arthur, for so many travelers. Well, Rick, thank just you so much, and I'm that. so
3: honored to be on your program. Thank you again.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Arthur, we'll celebrate accessibility yeah. for travelers, right? Okay. Happy travels.
2: Travel with Rick
0: Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe through the back door in Edmonds, Washington, thanks to the Radio Foundation in New York for their studio help. Music excerpts today included
2: anniversary tributes to Mendelssohn by the London Philharmonic, to Villalobos by guitarist Norbert Kraft, and on original instruments, the Academy of Ancient Music performed samples from Haydn's The Creation, Purcell's Abdelazar, and Handel's Water Music. Tributes to Paris came from Jacques Elian and Zappy Max and from Michelle Legrand on piano. Links to our guests are in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com. Join us again next week for more travel with Rick Steves. monsieur, la visite est terminée, n'oubliez pas le guide, s'il vous plaît.